Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, it's the start of the new year, and for many of us, that means making resolutions to get in shape and lead a healthier lifestyle. Now, if you're planning on joining a gym as part of your resolution, well, you're in luck. In today's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. David Bame, a world-renowned researcher and professor at Memorial University. Dr. Bame has spent the last 30 years studying the effects of exercise in the human body and has made significant contributions in the field of sports science. Today, he'll be sharing his expert insights on what we need to know in order to exercise properly at the gym. From choosing the right workout routine to staying motivated and warming up properly, Dr. Bame has got us covered. So if you're ready to make the most out of your physical activity this new year, then you pick the right day to tune in. Let's check it out. Hi, Dr. Bame. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks very much, Mike. Really, really appreciate it. That's no problem at all. It's great to have you back. I think it's your third time coming on the show, and it's always great to have your knowledge. And, you know, you're an expert in exercise physiology, and, you know, people are heading to the gym this time of year. They're looking at setting news resolutions and exercise, so I was hoping you could walk us through how people can exercise a little bit more efficiently today. That'd be my pleasure if I can help. What are the factors people should even look at when they start thinking about exercise? Because, I mean, I think we've been programmed that it's New Year's, we need to get more active and exercise, but like, what does that really mean? What are the factors people should really be looking at saying, I actually do need more physical activity? Well, of course, you know, there's a number of different components to physical activity or fit physical fitness. Uh, we always think of aerobic uh, capacity as being number one, and people put a big emphasis on that. If you don't have, you know, a good aerobic capacity, people think you're going to die of a heart attack or a stroke or something, but the aerobic capacity is just one of the components so muscle strength and endurance are two very important components as well. And the latest research is showing that having a, an acceptable level of muscle strength and endurance prolongs your life, just like uh, having a, an acceptable level of aerobic capacity. And then you have to think about balance. You have to think about flexibility and muscle power as well. Normally, we only think of athletes needing muscle power. But, you know, just think of, you know, you're walking down the street in St. John's and you, uh, you slip on some ice. Well, if you don't react fast enough and then be able to push off with enough power, you're going to end up on your butt. And you can end up fracturing your hip if you're older or, you know, even if you're younger, breaking an arm or whatever. So we don't, we need more than strength. We also need power. Well, that's awesome. And that's really why I wanted to talk to you today. For anybody listening, I moved here to work with Dr. Babe when I was doing my master's degree. And we did look at some of these balance exercises. And, and that's why today it's so important to, you know, clarify to people just why they need to exercise the right way, because there is a real science behind it. And, you know, when we look at people trying to motivate themselves to go to the gym and to get exercise, you hit on a couple of really key points already. You mentioned older people looking at balance. You talked about athletes that are training for performance, talked about the average Joe that doesn't want to hurt themselves. You know, what are some of the, the reasons that people can use to motivate themselves to, to get into a physical activity routine if it doesn't naturally come to them because they just don't really necessarily enjoy it? Yeah, it's, it's really tough for some people. Like some people, most people, when they exercise, they release endorphins and enkephalins. And these are these chemicals in your body. They're like morphine. And morphine is like heroin. So when you hear people talking about a runner's high, it's because they're releasing these endorphins and enkephalins. But not everybody releases a lot of these. And so the people who really hate exercising are people that don't get this high from exercising. And then as well, when you exercise, uh, you release these neurotransmitters in your brain called dopamine and serotonin. 
Now, dopamine and serotonin are what they call the reward neurotransmitters. They give your body a reward. So, you know, to give you an example, uh, when you fall in love, as you as you know, being an, a married man, when you fall in love, you release a lot of dopamine. So therefore, with the release of dopamine, you're falling in love with exercise. Mm. But not everybody has such high levels of dopamine with exercise. They don't have that love relationship with exercise. So it's difficult for them to do that. And they've got to find alternative ways because, you know, resistance training, exercise, it, it decreases stroke, it decreases cardiovascular disease, dementia, cancer, you name a disease. And if you're doing resistance training pretty well, it's going to reduce your chances of uh, getting that disease. So when you consider all the good things that resistance training and aerobic training do for you, you think, who wouldn't want to exercise? But if it's not fun, it's it's pretty difficult to do. So how do we motivate people? Well, first of all, you got the knowledge that's good for you. So that helps, but it's it's really still difficult if you don't really enjoy it. But what, what I would say is that what you need to do is you have to break down some realistic objectives. You know, you know, you you, you take that magazine uh, over chapters called you know fitness and health, and who's on the front? You know, there's some movie star who's all buff with three percent body fat, or there's a bodybuilder with two percent body fat, and you look at that person and you go, well, that's what I'm supposed to look like. No, not a chance you're not supposed to look like that. In fact, the statistics show that bodybuilders have a 35% higher mortality rate than the average person. So those guys and gals you see on the front of fitness magazines are dying off before you are. You don't want that to happen. So your goal shouldn't be, unless you are a professional bodybuilder or you are... I don't know, uh, a movie star, uh, shouldn't be to try and be that. You should just try to get healthy. In fact, you can probably do that in five to 10 minutes a day. And and that's really what I wanted to get. You hit the nail on the head there. Number one, you know, it's a, it's very intimidating for people because we are programmed, especially through social media these days, about what physical fitness is and what health is. And it's just so wrong most of the time because it doesn't provide balance if you're obsessing about exercise and every piece of food that goes in your body but you just said you know you can get in shape or get in better health in five to ten minutes a day that's what i really want to get to the bottom of today you know so when you you've mentioned some things like aerobic exercise and resistance training is there a certain type of exercise that's kind of the magic bullet that people are looking for or is it all based on the person yeah no there's obviously there's no magic bullet and you're right Everybody has different objectives. They have different bodies. You have different physiologies. So some things will work better for others. You know, I, I, I resistance trained for 40 years and I enjoyed it, but not everybody's going to do that. Other people are going to like running or cycling or swimming better. So it all depends on your, on your situation, but uh, you should have a combination of both. Even if you don't like to resistance train, or even if you don't like to go for a run, and unfortunately, the, the latest research, you know, if you go to participation, they'll mm-hmm. say that you should be exercising about 150 minutes per week. The American College of Sports Medicine says the exact same thing, and they both say that you should be resistance training twice a week. But if you take a look at some of the recent uh, research, it indicates that, for example, you look at some of those guidelines, it says you should be doing three sets of, let's say, 
eight to 15 repetitions for each muscle group. Mm-hmm. Well, if you really look at the research, that may be the optimal thing to do, but you can get away with one set. One set of resistance training will give you health benefits and you'll get stronger and you get more toned. You don't need to do three. Three is better. You know, don't forget that three is better, but one will do it. And then you go to the gym and you think, okay, so-and-so said I have to do one set, three sets of 10. So then what you think is I got to go to 10 and I got to go to exhaustion. You know, number 10, I can't do number 11. Well, the recent research says you don't have to do that. If you can do a weight that you stop at 10, doing eight is fine. You can get away with doing eight. Again, I want to emphasize you'll get stronger if you do go to 10, but if all you want to do is be healthy, stop at eight, and it's not as painful. We're here with Dr. David Baim, who's a professor in human kinetics and recreation at Memorial University. He's sharing what we need to know about exercising properly and effectively this New Year's. We'll be right back after the break. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. David Baim, who's a professor of kinesiology at Memorial University. He's an expert in everything to do with exercise, from stretching and warm-ups to getting the most out of our workouts. That's why he's joining us here today. Let's get back to the interview. A lot of the time, in my experience, what I've seen is that people that are promoting this certain philosophy or certain recipe for fitness are trying to sell something, number one, or they're looking at like perfect as opposed to being good. So maybe you could explain to people about how the body progresses and adapts to exercise, because I think that's a really important concept for people because 10 push-ups to me might be completely different than 10 push-ups to you. It might take me a year to get there, but you might be able to do 50 right off the hop. Yeah, that's right. So we need to put some stress on the body. So like I said, you know, three sets of 10, that's a really great stress to put on the body. And what the body will do if you give it sufficient rest is that if you tested yourself immediately after you're doing your three sets of 10 or even your one set of eight, you'll find out, of course, that you're weaker because you're tired. But then what happens is that you've probably caused a few little um, micro tears in the muscle or you've depleted the sugars in your muscle. And then what the body does every time is when you provide it with a stress, it get, it goes, hey, I want to be able to overcome this stress the next time. So therefore, I'm either going to get stronger, the muscle, if the muscle had a voice, the muscle's talking to you saying, I'm going to get stronger or I'm going to get bigger. Or I'm going to store away more glycogen, which is sugar, so I can do more repetitions next time. And every time you present it with a stress, it's going to try and overcome that stress. So that's why typically we say, okay, you work out your your back on Monday. Don't work it out again until Wednesday or Thursday. It needs time to come back and get stronger. Yeah, and I think that's an important concept is that your body needs this time to recover. But you've also said some things that I think are important to clarify for people that they that may not be familiar with, like, you know, resistance training and about different ranges. So you've mentioned repetitions a few times, and um, maybe you can give us a range of, like, 
how long it takes to perform them or how many repetitions to get a certain response. Because, you know, if you were thinking from that same philosophy of more is better, you go to the gym and do 500 repetitions thinking that maybe you've got the right recipe there because you're doing more of them. So maybe you can walk me through what, what the different repetition ranges mean for folks. Well, if, if you're looking for strength, then normally you're looking for like six to 12 repetitions. If you're looking for endurance, it's typically more than 15 repetitions. So looking at that range, but you know, there's a really, again, this really interesting piece of research from Australia came out and I wouldn't recommend it for the average individual, but just to show you how little you have to do. So this person named Nosaka at the Edith Cowan University in Australia, he had very sedentary people, people who weren't active at all. All they did was one repetition that lasted three seconds so they went one second up, that's called a concentric contraction, and they went two seconds down, that's called an eccentric contraction. They did that five days a week. I can't remember how many weeks, could have been four, six, eight weeks, something like that. And the people got stronger. <laughs> one repetition of three seconds. That's all yeah. it took. Now remember, these were sedentary people. They didn't do anything. So almost anything would make them stronger. But it's a good example of, you know, you don't need to really push yourself extremely hard. So again, like I said, one set of, you know, six to 12 for your strength or more than 15. And then in fact, you really only have to do, I'd say like three exercises because what people do often, again, they follow the bodybuilders. So the bodybuilder wants a big bicep. He wants a big tricep. He wants a big quadricep, you know, so he works on each of these muscles individually. You don't need to do that. You can have an exercise that works all your legs at once. So do a squat, do a deadlift, do a clean, do a lunge, and your quadriceps, your hamstrings, your calf muscles are all being used. And so again, very minimum, do one set of like eight and you're gonna get stronger. Mm -hmm. Then go and maybe pick up some dumbbells and then do a bicep curl and then do a shoulder press at the same time, not two separate, do it together. And then you've got all your pushing muscle or your, your flexing and your pushing muscles together. Or then trying, and if you've got a bar someplace and trying to do a pull up and you got all your back muscles and your biceps being used. So there's three exercises, you got the whole body done. One set of eight for each, go home. See, I love that philosophy because it is true that, you know, it, and the other thing is that people have to adapt as they change and as they age and so, you know, you go into a gym and you see some 20 year old doing, you know, this bodybuilding routine where they're spending an hour on their arms alone. And, you know, we can go in there and we've only got a half an hour of time, for example, or we're at home and we're a busy schedule. And, you know, there's different commitments, knowing that we can do these exercises to get tremendous benefit in a very short period of time. That should be encouraging to people because one repetition is sufficient enough to be able to give a response that 10 minutes would be excellent. I can start to see how that comes together. The other thing that I think about too is intensity levels. So sometimes people think they got to work their guts out in order to get this sort of response. Can you explain how hard somebody should be working if they're, and this is for the average person that's inactive and, and just getting an exercise, how hard do they need to work in order to get a response? Well, again, for, for the resistance training, if you try to lift a weight and you pick the weight and you can only do 10 of them and you stop at 10, you only need to do eight or nine of those. You don't have to push yourself to 10. 
So typically you don't have to, you know, if you think of a, uh, a pain scale and 10 is the most pain that you've got, you know, the most discomfort that you got, you really only need to put yourself on a six or a seven or eight and you're going to get uh, advantages. Now, if we go to like aerobic training rather than just talking about resistance training, you know, people often ask, well, you know, do you need to run or cycle or can I just go for a walk? And so the often uh, answer to that is that, for instance, walking five kilometers burns approximately the same amount of calories as running five kilometers. And that just, just blows people's heads. You know, I can walk for five kilometers. It's the same as running. Well, you, what you want to remember is that, like in my case, I weigh about 200 pounds. So I take my 200-pound body and I move it five kilometers. That takes a certain amount of energy. It doesn't matter if I move it fast or slow. It took a certain amount of energy. Now, the difference is, and this is where people you know, are confused, when I walk five kilometers, maybe it takes me 40 minutes or maybe it takes me an hour. When I run five kilometers, maybe it takes me 25 minutes. So the intensity is higher. Now, I just said that they are similar in terms of uh, burning calories. They're not similar in terms of the benefits to your heart and your cardiovascular system. So running five kilometers in 25 minutes will put more stress on your heart and your cardiovascular system, like your arteries and capillaries, than walking five kilometers. So if your only goal is to lose weight, walking or running, same thing almost. If your goal is to lose weight and make sure your heart gets uh, significantly better, then I would recommend going at a higher intensity. And that means running, jogging, cycling, swimming, something like that. That's right. And as people go along, a five kilometer walk might be quite challenging for them to begin with. And as they go, they can start to increase the pace and keep track of things and, and start to uh, make these things harder as they go. And the body is a natural tendency to do that. When people are exercising, how can they ensure that what they're going to do is safe for them? Because you mentioned somebody putting stress on their heart. I can imagine somebody having a heart condition and then taking up exercise for the first time. And maybe that's not the best thing for them if it's too intense. How do they say get the right prescription? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. So especially for somebody who's older or has some underlying condition, they should go and see a medical doctor to make sure that they're safe. You know, anybody can have a cardiac arrest. Uh, we just saw that on uh, on the on the weekend in the NFL when the Buffalo Bills defensive back had a cardiac arrest. And you think the guy's 24 years old, he's young, he's fit. How could he have a, a heart attack? Well, these things can happen if you have some sort of underlying problem that you don't know about. So, yes, yeah, so older people or people with problems, I would say go to a doctor first. If you're young and, and healthy, then uh, you, can, you can start off. Again, remember what we said. Don't put yourself at a 10 on your discomfort scale. Start off at a 5 or a 6. Um, and that should should allow you to allow yourself to build yourself up and uh, and add more stress as you go along. Okay, so that's that's good. And and so you know when people are, know that they're safe and they're able to participate, we know that it doesn't take a huge time commitment. There's a variety of different ways that we can improve our health and our physical fitness. One of the challenges we're facing these days is that things cost a lot of money, and somebody all of a sudden now is told they have to invest in some sort of like gym membership in order to get in shape. You know, can people get in shape by doing things without a lot of equipment? I think we've heard people say this before, but I'd love to hear your perspective on this. 
Oh, yes, definitely. So, for example, I, I like I mentioned before, I've lifted weights for like 40 years or 45 years, but COVID showed up a couple of years ago and closed down the um, uh, the gyms. And so what I did at home is I did calisthenics. I did two exercises. I did two sets of push-ups. I did two sets of chin-ups. That's all I did. It took me like seven minutes. And you wouldn't see, you wouldn't notice any change in my body uh, from when I was doing resistance training in the gym to doing these two sets. Now, I guarantee you, if I went into the gym and I tried to do a bench press or something, I wouldn't be as strong because doing push-ups, I was working more on endurance, right? So, you know, at the moment, like I'm up to, I can do 65 push-ups in a row after doing like two years of calisthenics. So my endurance is up, my strength is down a bit, but what am I, what should I be worried about? My health. I shouldn't be worried about whether I can bench press 200 pounds or 300 pounds. I should be, you know, I'm 65 years old, almost 66. I should be worried about my health, not my bench press. So doing push-ups and chin-ups is just fine. And if you want to do some other stuff, then go in and buy some of those elastic bands, those stair bands. You know, you can stick them in your in your closet. They don't take up any space. And then you can do a greater variety of exercises. And, you know, buying some elastic bands might cost you $12 instead of paying $400 at a, at a gym. We're here with Dr. David Bame, who's a professor in human kinetics and recreation at Memorial University. He's sharing what we need to know about exercising properly and effectively this New Year's. We'll be right back after the break. You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. David Bame, who's a professor of kinesiology at Memorial University. He's an expert in everything to do with exercise, from stretching and warm-ups to getting the most out of our workouts. That's why he's joining us here today. Let's get back to the interview. One of the things we need to maintain is make sure that we don't get injuries when we're exercising and that we're doing things properly. And so, you know, we kind of got a good basis now of what constitutes uh, adequate exercise, but maybe you can tell me a little bit about the importance of warming up and, and how do we prepare ourselves for physical activity. So when we're highly motivated and we're ready to go, we don't just go out there and pull a muscle day one. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And again, there's some really interesting research that we've published lately. So, of course, as I mentioned, we do a lot of work in stretching. And we were looking at the at the studies, and we did this review. And what we found is that, you know, most people go in and they think, okay, I need to do a warm-up. I need to stretch before I do my resistance training. What we found is that resistance training itself improves your flexibility and it improves your flexibility to the same extent as stretching. So if you go in and you're using a machine or free weights or whatever, you don't need to stretch beforehand. Now you still need to warm up though, because you know, you walk into the gym or, you know, you, you do, you do your own workout in your own house and uh, your muscles may be cold and therefore they might be tight. And so you still need to warm up those muscles. So what we need to do, I'm going to throw out a, uh, a scientific word to you. It's called thixotropic effects. Okay. So these thixotropic effects, what they mean, I, I'm going to give you an example. Think of a ketchup bottle, 
All right. You're going to take your Heinz ketchup bottle. You're going to open it up and then you're going to try and pour out some ketchup. Well, you've had it in the fridge. You, you put it upside down. No ketchup comes out. So what do you do? You shake the bottle. When you apply a stress or heat to a tissue or liquid, thixotropic effects occur and you have a decrease in the viscosity of that tissue. So the viscosity means how thick is the fluid and the ketchup is thick when it's cold. So you need to shake it. And when you shake it, it creates heat as well and you get decreased viscosity. Now the ketchup comes out. So what you need to do before you go resistance training is hop on a bike or hop on a step machine or an elliptical machine or do something to warm up your muscles to decrease that viscosity so that when you go and do your, your bench press or your shoulder press or your squats, you've got this muscle that's more compliant. It's not as stiff and you're not, not likely to injure yourself. That's true. And maybe before you try and do 65 push-ups, you start with four or five with, from your knees instead of from your toes. Or you, you that's right. Exactly. Great point. Okay, good. That's good to know. And I think that's important for people to know this type of stuff. And, and you know, it's really interesting was I knew about the stretching work. You gave a TEDx talk talking about stretching and how important that is. And you've written, literally written the book on stretching is that, um, you know, by exercising the right way, doing something like resistance training, you're getting the benefits of both of these things, which are going to be helpful for us as we go forward. So is that one of the ways people can prevent injuries is by making their muscles more flexible? Um, and stronger and more adaptable is, you know, those some of the way the benefits we get from exercise that keep us from getting hurt. Yeah, again, you're absolutely right. And again, we've got some new research out and we have a visiting professor from uh, from Germany and we, we did some research. And what he did in the past, for example, there was research on chickens and quails. And what they do with these chickens and quails is they take like their back muscle, their back wing muscle, and they'd stretch it for 24 hours a day for a week. And then what they found was after a week, the quail or the chicken back muscle or wing muscle got bigger and stronger. And they said, well, isn't that interesting? But we can't have people stretch their muscles 24 hours a day. So what we did in this research is we, we had a device where a person could sit and watch TV and it put their calf muscles under stretch and we had them stretch for 30 minutes, 30 minutes a day, five days a week for four weeks. And from that 30 minutes of stretching, we found that their muscles, that their calf muscles were stronger and their calf muscles actually got bigger. They hypertrophied. They didn't have to move. All they had to do was watch TV, sit there with this little device on to stretch your calf muscles. They got stronger. Well, I'd say you should patent that right away because there's lots of people with skinny calf muscles uh, like myself. Would <laughs> be willing to buy that uh, pretty quick. We've started to exercise. People are understanding the benefits could be their health, could be their physical fitness, could be the way they want to feel. Um, but now all of a sudden you finished your first exercise program and you're sore the next day which happens to people a lot. Tell me what happens when we get sore and then what can we do to relieve some of that stiffness so we can get on to doing it again in the future? Okay, so first of all, I'm gonna tell you about the myth, the big myth, people are sore the next day. They say, oh my God, I must be full of lactic acid. Yeah, that yeah. is a myth that's as old as time. You know, that yeah. myth is like 60 years old. It's as old as me. The thing is, 
Uh, yes, you do build up lactic acid or lactate when you're uh, doing a higher intensity exercise. But I'll throw you another scientific term. Lactate has a half recovery time of 20 to 30 minutes. So what the half recovery time means is that let's say you've got you know a certain amount of, of lactate in your muscle. Half of that lactate will leave your muscle in 20 to 30 minutes. 20 to 30 minutes after that, then instead of 50% is gone, 75% will, will be gone in like one hour. And then 30 minutes after that, so 90 minutes, and it's another half. So another half would be uh, 75, 82.5%. Uh, Two hours later, it's going to be um, 82.5. It'd be like 90% of all your lactate is gone in two hours. Yeah. So 24 hours later, you don't have any lactate. Well, you have a baseline lactate, but that's not the reason you're sore. The reason you're sore is you put some unaccustomed stress on your muscles, especially if you do those things called eccentric contractions where you have a resistance and your muscles lengthening. And it tends to, uh, you know, like I said before, cause these little micro tears in the muscle. These yeah. micro tears aren't that really bad because it's a signal for your muscle to adapt and get stronger. But if you do too much, you can get a lot of inflammation. So you get swelling in the muscle and get all this fluid going there. That's your immune system trying to battle those little damage that you've got to your muscle. So what can you do about that? Well, you can use foam rollers. Foam rollers have been shown to decrease the pain associated with delayed onset muscle soreness, to decrease the inflammation, and to decrease any of the impairments that you get. So normally with delayed onset muscle soreness, you're, you're a little bit weaker. You might have not have as much endurance. You might not be able to run as long. And performing foam rolling after you work out helps to decrease those effects. Stretching doesn't do that. Stretching makes you feel better while you stretch, but it doesn't have long-lasting effects, whereas a foam rolling does have better effects. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I mean, you know, and I guess that's a sign that you've done something that's going to be benefiting your body or you're adapting. Maybe you did a little too much and you need to tone it down a little. If you're too sore, you don't want to be hurt or anything like that. But I think there's some really important concepts for people to understand. So if they're exercising at the gym, they're exercising at home, and they're doing these different exercises, can you give a few of the biggest mistakes people can make and a few things they should keep in mind while they're exercising to get the most benefit, like when it comes to like maybe form or technique or things like that? Sure. One thing that people do, and again, as you mentioned, the concentric versus the eccentric, is people tend to overemphasize the concentric. So to give an example, let's say that we're doing a, a bench press or a chest press. You've got the bar, you bring it down your chest, you bring it back up again while you're lying down on your back. Well, a lot of people, you'll see them and they'll you know push up the weight and, oh, it's really tough. And then they almost drop the weight on their chest and bounce it off the rib cage and then push it back up again. So they've worked really hard on the concentric portion where they, they're trying to shorten their muscles with a load, but they do nothing for the eccentric portion, which is where your muscle lengthens under a load. And the eccentric contractions tend to give you more benefit than the concentric contractions. So really, they should be doing it the opposite way around. If you're doing your bench press or you're doing your bicep curl or you're doing your what's called a lat pull down, whatever exercise you want to talk about, you should do the pushing action. Normally, like take uh, at least one second to push it and then take at least two seconds to bring it back down. Now, if you're doing that, 
your ego may take a bruise because you're not going to be able to do as many repetitions when you come down slowly versus bouncing it off your chest. But it's going to be better for you. And again, check your ego at the door when you walk into the gym or into your gym and think to yourself, I'm here for my health. I'm not here to show off to the person beside me how much I can bench press. And so emphasize that eccentric contraction and the concentric contraction should be a shorter duration. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what about posture and things like that when you're doing exercise and form? Because I think that sometimes people sacrifice that again to try and lift more, do more, or whatever, whip out those extra few reps. And I, I did 20 push-ups in a row, but the last three might have been garbage form. How important mm -hmm. is keeping the right posture? Yeah, keeping the right posture is very important, to, not only to work the muscles properly, but to, to avoid injury. So often you'll see, let's think of somebody doing a, a, a bicep curl with a, a barbell, and same thing happens, right? They lift it up, and then they drop it down, and they bend forward, and then they use their hips to throw the weight back up again. Well, they're not really, and, and so they show off to the body, hey, look, I can bicep curl 80 pounds. Well, they're not bicep curling 80 pounds. They're doing a hip thrust with 80 pounds. Yeah. So again, put the ego away. Use your core. You know, you need to have a strong core because if you're going to go golfing, all the forces from your legs transfer through the core to your shoulders. If you're going to throw a softball, a baseball, again, all the forces come from your legs and go through your core. Anything that you're going to do goes through the core of your trunk muscles. And if you don't stabilize your body when you're lifting weights, you're not going to have a strong core. And then when you do go out and play the, the weekend softball game or the weekend soccer game or football game and you damage your back, it's because you don't have a good core because you didn't use it when you were training. So you go out there and you got, oh, look at my biceps. Look how big they are. Well, biceps are for beauty. They're not for health. We're here with Dr. David Bame, who's a professor in human kinetics and recreation at Memorial University. He's sharing what we need to know about exercising properly and effectively this New Year's. We'll be right back after the break. Your VOCM Mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. David Bame, who's a professor of kinesiology at Memorial University. He's an expert in everything to do with exercise, from stretching and warm-ups to getting the most out of our workouts. That's why he's joining us here today. Let's get back to the interview. All right, so when we look at physical activity, I think both of us are pretty aware that we need to do it for overall health reasons. But a lot of people are also trying to change their body composition and gain a healthy body weight because sometimes people may be at a at risk for different conditions because their body composition isn't isn't optimal for them. How can exercise help with controlling their body composition, maybe decreasing some fat, increasing some muscle? All right. Well, the first thing I'll say is that exercise is not a very effective way of maintaining your body composition. So you got somebody, they go and they go to Tim Hortons or wherever, and they buy just a, a regular donut. You know, it's, it's not a Boston cream. It's not one of these things with chocolate. It's just a regular donut. A regular donut has over 200 calories in it. The average person, it takes them 30 minutes to burn 200 calories. Is it worth it to have to go and run 
lift weights for 30 minutes to eat that one donut. No, it isn't. But that donut is good. So periodically, you might want to reward yourself with a donut, but it's, it's, it's a lot of work to, to work off that donut. But there are strategies that you can combine um, nutrition and exercise. Well, obviously, with exercise, you know, we're burning more calories. We're using energy. So, But it takes a lot of work to burn those calories, and it doesn't take a lot of work to throw a 200-calorie donut in my mouth. Yeah. But what you can do is that you can decrease your appetite and make sure that the nutrition is going to your muscles and not to your fat. So you're going to go, let's say, I don't know, let's say two o'clock this afternoon, you're going to go for a workout. What you might want to do is to have a little snack, a very small snack before you work out. And that snack, especially if you eat it like 45 minutes to an hour beforehand, the nutrients and the energy will be available to you when you're starting to work out. Now, don't eat a lot, just have a little snack, and that'll optimize your energy during your workout. Now, when you're working out, of course, what's going to happen, you're going to release all these hormones, your body temperature is going to go up. There's these things called glucose transporters that are in the membranes of your muscles, and they're really active. They really turn on when you exercise. So any glucose or blood sugar coming by is just sucked right into the muscle so you can use it for energy. Now, let's say you stop exercising, you know, you, you, it's 2.30, you're finished your workout. Those glucose transporters just don't turn off automatically. They're still active for like 45 minutes an hour, maybe up to three hours afterwards. So what you have to do, eat again. Eat right after your exercise. Again, don't, you know, eat a huge meal, but typically you're not going to be too hungry after you work out. So what's going to happen, whatever you ate, because those glucose transporters in your muscles are so active, they're going to take that stuff and they're going to suck it into the muscles. Less of that is going to go to the fat and get stored away. And then, like I said, you're not going to be too hungry because the reason you feel hungry is when your blood glucose goes down. And so your brain, your hypothalamus is saying, okay, blood glucose is down. He must be running out of fuel. If you exercise, your blood glucose goes up. Your hypothalamus thinks, oh, he must have just eaten. So by exercising, you fool the body into thinking you're full. And like we, you know, we tell everybody, don't go to the grocery store hungry. You know, you're yeah. going to start buying donuts all over the place. So yeah. when do you want to eat? You should eat when you're not hungry, and that's right after exercise. And so now you're not hungry. You don't eat much. All that food goes in your muscle, not in your fat. And then four hours later, let's say it's supper time, you've already had some stuff to eat. So again, you're not very hungry. So you might not even, you might not eat supper or you eat a lot less for supper as well. Yeah, that's such a great point. And for people that are listening that are diabetic, you know, this ability of your muscles to be able to pull sugar and energy into the muscles because you're exercising is a really powerful tool when you're not good at either producing or utilizing insulin in the body. And so for diabetics in particular, this is a great way for people to control blood sugar and teach your body how to use energy without having to rely on something that's not working as well in your body. So that's why your physician will constantly tell you that exercise is important. And that's exactly what Dr. Babe just explained there. So what you're saying is, it's a combination. It's a tool. Exercise can, but is not the most effective way of changing body composition, but it allows us to clean up our nutrition, have better habits because we're there. And on a, on a, on a personal note too, just in your own personal perspective, I, I, when I exercise, I don't 
feel like eating is bad of food because I feel like I might be wasting some of that exercise itself. How does exercise help motivate us to make better choices after we've invested this time? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so if, if we're going to work that hard, why do we want to waste all that work uh, by, um, by throwing inappropriate foods? But another point I would make is that often when we think of, of losing weight, we think of trying to abstain. You know, we want to restrict ourselves. You know, we need to tell ourselves we're bad people because we're eating too much. Yeah. But if you if you eat at the right times, we, we don't want you to eat less. We want you to eat at the right times. And then because you eat at the right times, which is before and after exercise, you will naturally not eat as much. Yeah. And therefore, you don't feel like, oh, my God, you know, I'm really hungry, but I'm not allowed to eat. No, you don't feel that hungry because you've been eating at the right time. Yeah, that's right. And I think that a lot of these myths have been challenged. And it's so nice that there's information available to people where they can challenge some of these beliefs about not eating enough and exercising too much and pushing your body and not enjoying the process. Because inevitably, when you don't enjoy what you're doing for physical activity or you don't enjoy the foods you're eating or you feel like you're restricting – then you're going to go back to your old way because it's not sustainable over time. And I think that's that's an important message for people is that this has to be a change in lifestyle that occurs over a very long period of time in order to be uh, a benefit for you. But, uh, you know, Dr. Mame, you explained a lot today. I had a bunch of questions and we kind of went all over the place in a good way because every time I talk to you, I get to, you know, pick your brain. And I love that. And I hope people listening really got a lot out of this as well. Any final thoughts you want to leave people with as they sort of, contemplate exercise in the new year? Well, again, I think I'll just re-emphasize that don't try to look like that person on the cover of the fitness magazine. That person was told months beforehand, you're going to be on the cover, and they prepared with severe diets and heavy training so that they would have their six-pack. Those people don't look like that 365 days a year. They only look at that like that for contests, movies, and covers. Otherwise, they look more normal like us. So don't look at those people and think that's what normal is or that's what healthy is because that is not what healthy is. Yeah, that's true. And also they've got graphic designers photoshopping every little blemish out of their body as well, which puts it there. And I think that's really what you know people need to see is that health and fitness and physical activity are good for so many different things that challenge us throughout our lives. And it's definitely not about the cosmetic side of things. It's about the overall health, which is why it's so nice that you could join us today and share all of your expertise and that people listening can hear a very unbiased scientific approach towards what we should and shouldn't do. So thanks for joining me again today. And I'm sure I'll be hitting you up for another interview before long. Well, my pleasure, and thanks again for inviting me. Thank you to Dr. Bain for joining us today. Now, I'm not a big proponent of New Year's resolutions, but I'm also not one to deter people from making positive change in their health either. I hope today's interview helped you better understand exercise and will help you keep certain things in mind so you can be as effective and efficient as possible. Remember, it doesn't take that much to make a big difference when it comes to exercise, so be sure to take things slow. And also remember that if you don't enjoy the process and feel empowered, then your enthusiasm is likely to fade off. So good luck with your health this year, no matter how you hope to improve it. Well, thanks for joining me today. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM.